The next item of business is First Minister's questions, and at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Uh, thank you very much, uh, President. We will suspend business at this point. Thank you. Thank you. This Parliament rightly prides itself on being open and accessible, and of course, we want to maintain that. Visitors are welcomed into the gallery to watch their elected representatives at work. But far too regularly, disruption is causing members to lose the opportunity to ask questions and to represent their constituents' interests. And I'd like to assure members that work is underway on a range of measures that may be implemented to protect parliamentary business from persistent disruption. We'll go back to where we were, and I call Douglas Ross. Thank you, Presiding Officer, and you will have our full support with that, and I'm pleased to say I managed to hold my tongue uh, this time with that interruption. <laughs> uh, but as I was saying, less than 40 hours ago, Hamza Yusuf stood in this chamber and promised to be the First Minister for all of Scotland. And yesterday, he had an opportunity to prove that with the new ministerial team he appointed. But he failed in his first big test. This is the largest government since devolution, with more ministers than ever before. But key ministerial posts relating to social security and tourism were abolished. Yet a new minister for independence was created. Does the First Minister really believe that appointing a taxpayer-funded nationalist campaigner is governing for all of Scotland? First Minister. Can I say, officer, how delighted I am to have appointed the cabinet that has the most number of women in it in the history of devolution? Can I say that I'm delighted to be able to appoint a cabinet that had a number of members under the age of 40? Can I say how delighted I am to have appointed a cabinet and a government that is focused on the priorities of the Scottish people? We have a cabinet secretary for the well-being economy that puts the economy first, that makes sure that the economy works for the people, not the other way round. We have a Cabinet Secretary for Net Zero and Just Transition who are to unlock our green potential on the day, of course, that the UK Government have once again relegated the ACORN project to track two. We have a Cabinet Secretary for Social Justice to tackle child poverty to help us to tackle the effects First Minister, of West First, Minister First Minister, First Minister um, as ever, only the member who has been called to speak should be speaking, and I would ask members to treat one another with courtesy. Yes, I make no apology whatsoever for having a Minister for Independence, because, my goodness, we need independence now more than ever before. We need it now. We need it now more than ever before. Because in energy-rich Scotland, we have Scots that are fuel-poor because of the UK government's policies. We need independence now more than ever before because we have more food banks in this country at any other time than ever before because of over a decade of austerity. So I would say to, to Douglas Ross, to the UK government, we will continue to advocate and to advance independence because we need it now more than ever before. Douglas Ross. I found myself in the, the bizarre place that I was actually hoping there might be another intervention from the gallery just to stop that long rant from Hamza Youssef that didn't address the question at all because I specifically asked... Here they go. 
We will suspend. Thank you. We will resume. Douglas Ross. What you wish for, uh, presiding officer. I, I suppose that I, I was just lamenting on the point that clearly uh, Hamza Youssef had a, a script prepared there. He read it ad nauseum. And I'll try and continue if you want to try and continue, presiding officer, because Hamza Youssef read out a script specifically about an independence minister within his government. I think I will have to suspend Mr. Ross, unfortunately. We will suspend business. Okay. Um, we will resume. Thank you for endeavouring to continue. Mr. Ross. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. I was saying Hamza Youssef's answer totally ignored the point of key ministerial posts that he abolished. The Social Security Department had an individual minister with a cabinet secretary and a minister for social security. Ben McPherson was an extremely efficient and credible minister, and that position has been abolished by Hamza Youssef, but he has been able to create a dedicated minister for independence. So it's the same old from the SNP, another nationalist leader when Scotland needs a national leader. He is picking up exactly where Nicola Sturgeon left off. Just look at his first week in office. On Monday, within minutes of becoming leader of his party, he said he would push right away for the powers to hold another referendum. On Tuesday, in a call with the Prime Minister, he demanded another independence vote. And on Wednesday, he appointed a Minister for Independence. Instead of looking for areas of cooperation between Scotland's two governments, he's looking for a fight. Does the First Minister seriously believe that that's a priority for the people of Scotland. First Minister. Presiding officer, uh, first and foremost, it's been just over 24 hours since I was sworn in at the court of session. My first act, just about 24 hours after being sworn in, is to not just uh, double the fuel insecurity fund as we promised to do, to 10 million pound, from 10 million pounds to 20 million pounds. My first act is to triple the fuel insecurity fund because, of course, fuel poverty in this country is a disgrace. And it's a disgrace that has been imposed upon us by Conservative UK government. That is speaking, that is speaking to the priorities of the Scottish people. And, of course, Social Security is the responsibility of the Cabinet Secretary for Social Justice. In terms of tourism, of course, we have a business minister, a small business minister, trade and innovation, who will take that responsibility forward. I know this is new territory for Douglas Ross, but actually it's really a good thing for a party leader to make sure that they make good on the promises during an election campaign. It's of no surprise to anybody that as First Minister of Scotland, of course I will advance the cause of independence. I will do that because I do not accept the fact that we have children in poverty here in Scotland because of a decade of austerity. I do that because I do not accept that a country as energy rich as ours should be fuel poor because of the UK government. I do that because I do not accept that people must suffer under sky-high energy bills. So yes, I'll continue to make the case for independence because, as I say, people need independence to un unleash and unlock the potential of this country. We can do so much more with the powers of, of an independent nation. Yeah, yeah. Ross. The First Minister has to realise that independence is not a priority for people across Scotland right now. But getting our economy going certainly is. Mm -hmm. So let's hear what some of Hamza Youssef's own colleagues have to say about his chances of reviving Scotland's sluggish economy. 
uh, SNP, MSP, Ivan McKee said this government needs to reset its relationship with business. Uh, an SNP source described one of the Minister's acts as one of the few non-idiots that was available. Former uh, SNP Minister Alex Neil said, and this is a quote, it seems the best economic brains in the government have been sidelined. And another party quote made an equally scathing assessment of the First Minister's reshuffle. These are their words. Huge challenges are coming in public finances. Is this really the team that can tackle that? There is a concerning lack of numeracy skills within this group. Presiding officer, if members of Hamza Youssef's own party have no confidence in his ability to manage the economy, how can the country? First Minister. My goodness, my goodness, how desperate is Douglas Ross? Do you know whose opinion I really care about? You know whose opinion I really care about? It's the people of Scotland who have Thank given you, their members. verdict time and time again. And they have put their trust in the SNP election after election after election. They've done that because we deliver for the economy. They have done that because we deliver for the priorities of the people of Scotland. We have an incredible cabinet with talent right across finance, right across economy, social justice and well-being. And whether it's on the front benches or whether it's on my back benches, I am proud to have a team full of talent. And I look across the Conservative benches, they wouldn't even make it on my subs bench, presiding officer. And let me say this much. Briefly, I, see, I see that the First Minister may well have changed, but Douglas Ross goes on the same old broken record of personal attacks and insult after insult. And how good has it done him? How much good has Members. it done him? The latest poll, of course, that has come out shows that Douglas Ross has managed to lead his party, if that is the word, into third place. A third-rate politician leading a third-rate party, presiding officer. Douglas Ross. I, 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 I really hope the First Minister gets better than this. and He doesn't just have to take it from me. I, I know he can't see the faces behind him, but we can. We can see the reaction of his backbenchers to his contribution here. We will suspend. We will resume. And I call Douglas Ross. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Presiding Officer. Uh, We will suspend. Thank you, colleagues. Um, I don't think I can adequately express my deep regret that such action is required in our national parliament. Um, and, you know, I'm extremely sorry for the overwhelming majority of those who have travelled to the parliament today to watch their elected representatives at work. Um, I am pleased that we've been able to continue to accommodate our young people here and while we continue to focus on a swift solution to this we will see what we can do in terms of targeting any response but for today I think given that we'd had five disruptions it's essential that we do all we can to protect the well-being and safety of those who expect to come to this parliament and quietly watch the parliament at its work. Now um, a, a point well is it <laughs> I, 
It is very unusual that we take points of order during First Minister's questions. I will on this occasion, Mr McMillan. Uh, thank you very much, President Officer. President Officer, uh, I absolutely agree with your, your comments and your sentiments. There are some young people remaining in the gallery, which I welcome. But there also are some young people, particularly a school from my constituency, who have travelled from Gourock to be here today, and they are now no longer in the public gallery. But there will be other young people who are out of the gallery. I would, I would genuinely request that we can get the, all the young people back in, because they have done nothing wrong. Thank you. I am content, if members are, to wait for a few minutes to see what we can do to accommodate those who, who have been caught up in the disruption. So can I suggest we just suspend for a few more minutes and we enable our colleagues in security to see what can be done in that regard? Thank you. Can I have Douglas Ross's microphone, please? They got into the mic system. I was just walking away. That was going to be it. <laughs> but I do have to say, uh, and I respect uh, everything you have tried to do, presiding officer, but this shower have been doing this week after week after week. And the image of genuine constituents being forced out of our parliament is one we will all regret and one none of us want to see repeated. I am very grateful that young people have been able to stay, but we must do something to stop this going forward. Um, and if I remember correctly, because it was some time ago, the First Minister was trying to criticise me for my questions and, and some of the things I was saying uh, in question three. They were all direct quotes from his own party members, even some of his own MSPs. They were criticising his ability to turn around the economy. Hamza Yusuf is leading a divided party that has got no confidence in his government's ability. And it's no wonder why. He's stuffed his cabinet full of his predecessor's lackeys, ministers with almost poor a track record in government as he has. More ministers than ever before, yet he managed to appoint just one that didn't support him in the leadership election. He squeaked a win and then forced the former Finance Secretary Kate Forbes and her supporters out of government in an act of petty vengeance. And now, to shore up his position within his feuding party, he's back pushing independence because it's the only thing that unites the SNP. Hamza Youssef is more divisive than even Nicola Sturgeon was. He's already split his party down the middle and now he wants to do the same with the country. In these difficult times, Scotland needs a government focused on the real priorities of people across Scotland and the big challenges we face. Yet instead, we have one that is at war with itself and focused on engineering further division. If Hamza Youssef cannot even unite his own party, how can he possibly unite the country? First Minister. I say, uh, first of all, foremost, uh, Officer, I do agree with the action you've taken. I'm delighted. The young people were allowed to stay, and can I commend the young people uh, for behaving much better than some of the adults uh, yeah, that were yeah, uh, in yeah. the public uh, gallery? Um, can I say on, on Douglas Ross's criticism of the economic literacy of this government, of this uh, SNP-led government, let me remind them, of course, that SNP, uh, under the SNP, under uh, Nicola Sturgeon, under John Swinney, and I'm pleased to be building on this legacy, that Scottish GDP grew more than UK GDP. Can I also, of course, make the point that if we had listened to Douglas Ross, who demanded that we copy Liz Truss's tax cuts for the wealthiest, we would have had over £500 million less Absolutely. to spend to invest in public services. Thank God we did not listen uh, to them. I am building upon a legacy where we have higher unemployment, lower unemployment, low 
uh, economic inactivity. And as for division, they are a party, the Conservatives, that tore themselves apart over Brexit. The Tory party has had more leaders in as many months than Douglas Ross has jobs, presiding officer. Yeah. This coming division, coming from a man who said that if he was Prime Minister for one day, the only thing he would do would be to hammer the rights of one of the most marginalised communities in the country. So I'll take no lessons on division from Douglas Ross. I am delighted to have appointed a cabinet and a ministerial team that will build upon the legacy that Nicola Sturgeon and John Swinney have left us. It makes us the most popular party in Scotland. It makes us the National Party of Scotland. We will work every single day to earn and re-earn that trust. But it is because we focus on the priorities of the people of Scotland that we are going to continue, I am certain, to be the most popular party in this country. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Officer, the new First Minister has uh, lots to get to grip with, so I thought it's only fair that we should start with something he should already be across. Uh, there is a mental health crisis affecting children across Scotland, but they are struggling to access treatment. During Hamza Yusuf's time as Health Secretary, more than 11,000 children and young people waited more than the 18-week standard for treatment. Shockingly, over 14,000 had the referral for mental health treatment rejected entirely. So will the First Minister take this opportunity to offer an apology to the children and families he let down as Health Secretary. First Minister. Can I say, as has become customary, of course, when Anna Sawar asks these questions, he does not acknowledge the impact, of course, of a global pandemic. A global pandemic which has been the biggest shock of the NHS in its 74-year existence. Of course, anybody that has been let down, particularly our children and young people, I not only offer an apology, I offer deep regret for anybody that has had to wait longer. I would not want my loved one, I would not want my children, if they ever needed those services, to have to wait any longer than they should. But we are taking action on recovery. I am taking action on recovery. For example, when we look at CAMS, when we look at the number of young people waiting to be seen for their mental health, the number of children starting treatment from CAMS in the most recent quarter is the highest figure on record. The last four quarters, in fact, have seen each of the four highest figures on record for the number of children starting treatment for cancer. So I agree with Anna Sawa. There are too many young people waiting too long. But this uh, action, the recovery that we have made, the recovery that will now be led, and I will, of course, lead that from government, but led uh, by the Cabinet Secretary for NHS recovery, uh, for the NHS and for social care, we will make sure that we continue to invest in that. Let me end by saying that uh, it is because of our progressive taxation, presiding officer, that we are able to invest a record £19 billion in our health service, and I hope we continue to make improvements in relation to young people waiting for camps. Anna Sarwar. The First Minister can't use the pandemic for this excuse because they've never met in 16 years their CAM standards. So no excuse of the pandemic on this one. Because incompetence has consequences. Behind these statistics are struggling children and heartbroken families. Here's just one example. Ten-year-old Alan Gilbraith. He has been waiting for his mental health treatment to start the entire time Hamza Youssef was health secretary. And here's what Robert's dad, sorry, Alan's dad, Robert, told us. He is really up and down. He will have days where you won't get a word out of him. We don't know what's happened unless something goes wrong. I feel like he's just been left. It doesn't matter what happens with him. 
There has been an array of cancelled appointments. We expected them to give Alan a diagnosis, maybe start treatment, something to help, but there has been nothing. All we get when we phone is that we are sorry. I cannot even begin to understand why Alan has gone from ready to start medication to the back of the queue, especially when it is a matter of mental health, and I really fear what, for what further delay will mean for him. We just feel constantly let down. We are very aware of the pandemic, but there is just not an answer, all while my son and my family are suffering. Health Secretary Hamza Yusuf failed this family. Why will First Minister Hamza Yusuf be any different? First Minister. Can I say that, of course, on the individual case that Anna Sawa references, I'm more than happy to receive the details and see if there's any way that we can assist uh, Alan and, of course, uh, assist uh, his family as well. Uh, let me say uh, once again, I am the first and have been when I was Health Secretary to acknowledge that, of course, there are challenges, and there were challenges pre the pandemic. But anybody uh, who, of course, and all of us have lived through the last few years will acknowledge that the impact of the global pandemic has been felt, of course, in the health service here in Scotland, but in health services right across the UK and, I would say, uh, right across the world. And our recovery is starting to see improvement. If I look at the latest, uh, if I look at the latest figures, uh, overall CAMS waiting lists have decreased by a reduction of around about 777 people. Children waiting over 18 weeks has decreased by 1,100 and 10. Children waiting over 52 weeks have decreased by 523. That's a 41.9 per cent reduction. And the number of people recruited to CAMS at a record high under this government and under my tenure as Health Secretary. But all of that, I fully accept, will be cold comfort to Alan, Robert and their family. So I'm more than happy to look at this individual case, uh, but we are on the road to recovery, not just on our health service, but on our mental health services too. Anna Presenting officer, Alan was waiting the entire time Hamza Youssef was health secretary. Let that sink in. A young child needing desperate help from our NHS, having to wait the entire time Hamza Youssef was health secretary. No hiding behind any pandemic, no hiding behind the statistics in that book. That is families suffering right across this country. And it's not just two years of SNP failure, it's 16 years of SNP failure. This government has never, never met their 18-week CAM standard. And when Hamza Yusuf was Health Secretary, Labour repeatedly called for a new referral system so that no young person is rejected for treatment that every GP practice has a dedicated mental health worker and a mental health A&E in every health ward so that patients can be fast-tracked, but they failed to listen. So why can't the First Minister see that for children like Alan and their families, incompetence has consequences, continuity won't cut it, and more of the same isn't going to improve their lives? First Minister. Can I again... Um that I am not suggesting and have never suggested that there weren't challenges pre-pandemic. Equally, I, support, I, I, I accept uh, and I hope he accepts that the global pandemics and the impact of that have been significant, not just on our NHS, uh, but of course on mental health services uh, as well. We know that local authorities report that between January uh, and June 2022, more than 38,000 young people and families 
access over 230 new and enhanced community-based mental health support. Now, why do I mention that? Because CAMS is, of course, important. But our, our, our interventions, our investments in early intervention are extremely important as well. I take the point also made uh, about rejected uh, referrals, and that's why we've accepted uh, the recommendations of the report uh, in relation to rejected uh, uh, referrals and the audit that took place uh, in 2018. So I expect to continue to see progress uh, in that regard. Uh, when statistics covering quarter one of 2023 are released uh, later this year in June, we're confident that a number of boards will have made significant progress in meeting the standard of 90% of young people seen by CAMS. Uh, uh, we know that health services right across the UK have been impacted by the global pandemic. What are we doing about it? Not just making sure that we make right by the recovery of the NHS, but ensuring that we invest a record £19 billion in our health service in 2023-24. What else are we doing? We're making sure, and of course I led in this as Health Secretary, that our NHS staff are the best paid here than anywhere else in the UK. And that's why, of course, I'm pleased that we've never lost a single day this winter to strike action, which is very different to other countries across the UK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Question number three, Liz Smith. Can I have Liz Smith's microphone, please? Uh, to ask the First Minister, in light of last week's uh, fiscal sustainability report published by the Scottish Fiscal Commission, what the economic priorities of the Scottish Government are. First Minister. The report highlights the impact of long-term change in demographics to our economy and public finances, but we're experiencing those challenges now as business and public services struggle to recruit and retain staff. There's simply no doubt that Brexit and the loss of freedom of movement has exacerbated these challenges. Scotland has distinct economic needs, so the UK Government must give us a formal role in deciding which occupations are on the shortage occupation list. The National Strategy for Economic Transformation sets out the actions we are taking. Economic success, of course, is not just GDP growth, but delivering a well-being economy, which will increase productivity and international competitiveness and deliver fairer, greener prosperity for all of Scotland. We're doing everything possible within the powers currently available, but we need the full powers of independence to truly unleash and maximise Scotland's potential. Liz Smith. First Minister, this report paints an extremely gloomy picture of the Scottish economy, most especially in terms of our weaker productivity, our demographic challenges, and in the words of the Scottish Fiscal Commission, the magnitude of the fiscal gap in the Scottish budget for the foreseeable future. So can I ask the First Minister how he intends to address Scotland's substantial fiscal deficit and whether he now accepts that Kate Forbes was absolutely right when she said that current SNP policies simply wouldn't cut it because there had been a lack of focus on broadening the tax base and on economic growth. First Minister. Tell you what, rejoining the EU would certainly help us in relation to undoing the damage that Brexit has done to businesses up and down uh, the country. Astonishing that Liz, uh, Liz Smith was able to get through that question without mentioning the damage and the impact that Brexit has done to our economy and to businesses right up and down the country. The loss of access to the largest single market in the world, the lack of access to freedom of movement. Talk to any hospitality industry up and down the country and they will tell you just how damaging Brexit has been. What else has been damaging, of course? Immigration. Those immigration policies that have been brought forward by her government that works against the economic interest uh, of Scotland. And 
to extend an olive branch. Liz Smith and I have, of course, worked on some of these issues before. We've worked on, for example, a post-study work visa. The UK government rejected that. Yeah. Scotland needs to say in the shortage occupation list. Yeah. The UK government have rejected that. Yeah. They should let asylum seekers work and pay tax. Yeah. Uh, if you talk about increasing the tax uh, base, the UK government have rejected uh, that. We want to extend the rural visa pilot. The UK government have rejected that. So we'll do everything in our powers to help the economy, but we're doing it under the constraints of devolution, under the constraints of a Tory government that does not work for the economic interests of Scotland, and we will not be able to make the maximum use or unleash our full potential until we have the powers of a normal, independent nation. Kenneth Gibson. Thank you, Presiding Officer, and I welcome the First Minister to his post. The Fiscal Sustainability Report makes it startly clear that without fundamental change, our public finances will be utterly unsustainable. While the bulk of the sustainability risk lies with the UK, public sector debt expected to rise to 267% of national income, Scotland, due to demographic change and increasing demand, will also have to reprioritise its spending. What steps will the First Minister take to address this direct challenge to our public finances and the crucial services they provide? First Minister. Well, I mean, Kerry Gibson gets it in a nutshell. We are relying on decisions made by the UK government, and that will impact and inflict damage, as it has often done to our businesses and to our economy. And let me just say, there does not have to be a choice between growing our tax base, our revenue base, uh, and, of course, uh, uh, investing in the wellbeing economy. You can do both. Uh, progressive taxation. You can have progressive taxation. I'm really pleased that we have a legacy of progressive taxation left us by John Swinney and his role as a former finance secretary. That means that we can invest in our economy, invest that extra billion pounds in our health service, invest in making sure that we have fair work. If we have fair work and that wellbeing economy, then of course that is to the interest not just of the people, but of, of the economy as well. But Kenny Gibson is absolutely right. So as long as the UK government holds the majority of the financial levers in their hands, they will continue to hold this country back. Ross Greer. Thank you. Following the First Minister's very welcome comments in the Daily Record about the need to redistribute wealth more fairly, can I ask if you will meet with myself and representatives of the Scottish Trade Union Congress to discuss further opportunities for progressive financial reform? First Minister. Yes, I will. I had a very constructive uh, engagement with the STUC uh, during the leadership uh, contest. I think they've got some excellent ideas on how to increase, uh, for example, uh, the uh, revenue uh, doing that in a way that's fair. And I, I absolutely nail my colours to the mass when it comes to progressive taxation. I think government ministers, MSPs, I think those that earn the most should be paying the most. I make no apology for that. And at the same time, I do believe in growing our economy, not for its own sake, but for making sure we invest in fair work. That is something that every single person in this chamber should be able to get around. So I don't understand why we hear the moaning and groaning from the Conservatives. Well, I do understand, because if we'd listened to them, if we'd given tax cuts to the wealthiest, we would have had over half a billion pounds less to invest in our public services. There's no way I'll be doing that. I'll be making sure that those that earn the most pay the most for, uh, to invest in our public services. Question number four, Jackie Dunbar. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister what assessment the Scottish Government has made of the potential impact on the anticipated 1st of April rise in energy bills on household finances in Scotland. First Minister. The reversal of the rise in the energy price guarantee was the least the Chancellor could do this spring. But a progressive government 
which has, truly has people as their priority, would have done so much more to support households in needs. We called on the Chancellor to extend the £400 energy bill support scheme, but he failed to deliver. And in doing so, he has placed more pressure on vulnerable households struggling to pay their bills and heat their homes. In contrast, my first act as First Minister, uh, 24 hours after being sworn in at the Court of Session, has been not to double, but to triple our fuel insecurity fund last year from £10 million to £30 million in 2023-24. This fund is a critical plank in our support to people who are struggling with their energy costs. It continues to provide a lifeline to households who are at risk of self-rationing or self-disconnecting their energy use. Jackie Dunbar. I thank the First Minister for his answer. Following the UK budget, OBR forecasts show typical household energy bills are expected to remain in excess of £2,000 until at least winter 2024-25 and possibly beyond. Given this, will the First Minister take this opportunity to urge the UK Government to reverse the incomprehensible decision to scrap the £400 energy bill support scheme, which is leaving many families in my constituency and across Scotland hundreds of pounds worse off? First Minister. Uh, Jackie Dunbar is, of course, uh, absolutely right, and I do uh, join her in urging the UK Government to reconsider. The removal of the support scheme uh, means a typical household's annual bill will increase by around about 19%. As well as removing 50,000 households from fuel poverty, the continuation of the support scheme would have removed 120,000 household, Scottish households from extreme fuel poverty. Instead, the UK Government has uh, inexplicably chosen a course which will result in approximately 920,000 fuel-poor households in Scotland. This equates to around 37% of all Scottish households, it's unacceptable. And while the Scottish Government is doing everything we can within its limited powers to ensure people receive the help they need, the UK Government could have gone far, uh, could, have gone, could have done far more to ease the burden affecting so many, demonstrating why we need those full powers of independence. It is a scandal, presiding officer, that in energy-rich Scotland, our people are facing fuel poverty because of the actions and indeed the inactions often of the UK Government. We must never ever accept that as the norm or of the as the status quo. Question number five, Pam Duncan-Glancy. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to the poverty statistics published last week in the report Poverty and Income Inequality in Scotland 2019-2022. First Minister. Uh, poverty levels are lower for all individuals and for children than the UK average, but I, I fully state unequivocally they remain uh, unacceptably high, which is why I want all the powers of a normal nation, such as all social security and all employment powers. Uh, we will continue to use all the levers we have and have allocated almost £3 billion this year to a range of measures to help mitigate against the impacts of the cost of living crisis. Our investment in the Scottish Child Payment, the most ambitious child poverty reduction measure in the UK, is estimated to lift 50,000 children out of relative poverty in 2023-24. Tackling poverty will be the defining mission of my government, which is why I will convene an anti-poverty summit to help guide the choices that I make as First Minister shortly. Pam Duncan-Glancy. I thank the First Minister for that answer. But over 15 years, the SNP have squandered Labour's legacy. People are poorer. Relative poverty is up. Poverty amongst disabled people is up. Persistent poverty is up. The best spin the SNP could come Let's up with is that these... Let's hear the member, please. 
is that these terrible figures are stable. This First Minister has failed to tackle poverty in Glasgow, where he represents, and in Dundee, where he lives. He's failed to tackle poverty over 10 years as a government minister. He says tackling poverty is his priority, but he's not appointed a Minister for Social Security. So I ask the First Minister, why should people in Scotland trust him to reduce poverty? First Minister. Social Security is being led by the Cabinet Secretary. It's a Cabinet position. Cabinet Secretary for Social Justice. She's sitting right there. She's waving right at you. So it will be a Cabinet responsibility. And here's what we're doing. We are spending £3 billion members. to mitigate the harmful effects of Tory austerity. Almost £3 billion. That includes, of course, the game-changing Scottish child payment. We support families in a variety of ways, including free school meals, free bus travel for under-22s, free school meals for around 145,000 pupils. And we have made significant increases, as I've already mentioned, to our food, uh, fuel insecurity, but also our food insecurity fund, as well as the Scottish Welfare Fund. And just to quote, if she doesn't believe me, just to quote uh, John Dickey, known to members right across the chamber of the Child Poverty Action Group, when he said, and I quote, there should be no doubt Nicola Sturgeon has made huge progress putting in place the building blocks needed to end child poverty. And it should be said the statistics that are being quoted and discussed here, of course, uh, they are from before we increased the Scottish child payment. But let me say really clearly to Pam Duncan Clancy, I didn't get into politics just to mitigate every time, uh, I didn't mitigate every time that the UK government brings forward harmful policies. Every time we do that, we have to take money away from the NHS. We have to take money away from education. We have to take money away from transport. We have to take money away from justice to mitigate the harmful impacts of cruel Tory policies. Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better to have the full powers over Social Security in our hands, the full powers of, over the finances, the full powers over employment, all in our hands, instead of being at the mercy of a UK government? And that's the difference between Pam Duncan Glancy and I. She wants to keep those powers in the hands of the Conservative Party. I want to make sure they're in our hands so we can unleash this country's potential. Jeremy Balfour. Uh, thank you, President Officer. The Scottish Child Payment has not been paid to many of my constituents yet. On uh, Monday, I visited a charity who had been trying to help those individuals and was told, don't even bother contacting Social Security Scotland until next month because we can't make that payment. And yet, the, the first decision by the First Minister was to take away a minister with sole responsibility for Social Security. Will he look at that again and apologise to all my constituents and to the hundreds of people across Scotland who are still waiting for that money and who is a system that is simply not working? First Minister. Uh, let me say, I am, of course, uh, happy to look at individual cases again if Jeremy Balfour wishes to bring them to my attention, or indeed the Cabinet Secretary who has responsibility for Social Security, my Cabinet Secretary uh, for Social Justice. We will, uh, of course, look into that. Uh, but let me also say once again, uh, particularly to the Conservative uh, member, I think they are utterly shameless, presiding officer. Over a decade of austerity, economic vandalism, which has meant that energy prices are sky high, inflation sky high, a Tory cost of living Thank crisis. You members. They literally took money out of the pockets of those on universal credit yeah. during the pandemic. Let me say to Jeremy Balfour, 
No one believes his crocodile tears for those that are suffering as a result of Tory cruelty, presiding officer. Question number six, Ariane Burgess. To ask, the first, to ask the First Minister what actions the Scottish Government will take to tackle the climate and nature emergencies. First Minister. The Scottish Government is committed to tackling the twin climate and nature crises and ensuring a just transition that creates jobs and economic opportunity across Scotland. I thought we'd had enough interventions, uh, presiding uh, officer. Uh, this is at the heart of the Butte House Agreement between the Scottish Greens and the SNP Government. I look forward very much to working together and indeed uh, across this chamber to deliver the actions that we need. Our top priorities include the, include the development of our next climate change plan, uh, a draft which will be brought to this parliament this November and taking forward our new biodiversity strategy too. This will ensure that Scotland plays our part in delivering on the goals within the new global biodiversity framework uh, agreed in Montreal in December. I thank the First Minister for that answer. As the UN Secretary-General said last week, our world needs climate action on all fronts, everything, everywhere, all at once. That is the challenge for the new climate plan, and the Scottish Greens are committed to playing our part in ensuring we meet it. That is a climate plan which transforms transport, reshapes land use, radically shifts how we keep our homes warm, and reaps the reward of tens of thousands of green jobs in our new economy. Later today, the First Minister will set out his new cabinet and ministerial team to Parliament. So can he outline how that new team is set up to deliver this, this greatest challenge, the climate challenge? First Minister. I can I thank the member for her question. Let me be absolutely clear that this government, that my government, is committed to tackling the climate emergency. When uh, I spoke to uh, new members of the Cabinet, uh, the junior ministerial team, I made it clear that we must be radical, we must be bold in all areas of government, but particularly in the biggest challenge our planet faces, our humanity faces, and that is, of course, uh, the threat of climate change. It's a priority that runs across the work of all members of my Cabinet and my ministerial team, and one that I will take, of course, uh, an interest, a personal interest in uh, myself, because the transition to net zero is not just one of the defining challenges of our time. It's also a huge economic opportunity for Scotland. If we unleash the green potential of this country, we will create tens of thousands of jobs uh, in the decades to come. So I'll work tirelessly to ensure that we grasp that opportunity, creating green jobs and opportunities right across Scotland. I want the northeast of Scotland in particular to be the net zero capital, not just of Europe, but of the world. Colin Smith. The First Minister has been part of a government which the Climate Change Committee point out has missed seven out of 11 of our legal climate targets, including being Minister for the highest emitter of greenhouse gases, transport at a time, to coin a phrase, when the trains didn't run. Why has the government he's been a minister in for more than a decade failed to deliver a credible plan that will even come close to meeting a target of net zero by 2045? A government the Climate Change Committee say will almost certainly miss our target to reduce emissions by 75 per cent by 2030. First Minister. Well, we of course have some of the world leading targets and some of the most ambitious targets in the world. The latest emissions data for 2020 shows that Scotland's emissions are down by over 50 per cent since the 1990 baseline, over halfway to zero. So we continue to be ahead of the UK as a whole in delivering long-term emissions reductions. We're also already making progress, of course, to decarbonise our energy systems. In 2020, Scotland generated the equivalent of almost 99 per cent 
of our gross electricity consumption from new renewable sources. I have already said, and we will come to this Parliament, uh, of course, with that climate uh, change plan. It will be ambitious. But what I would say to Labour, what does not help is if they oppose us at every single turn for every single climate measure we bring for the sake of just opposition. So if Labour, and I say to all of the Chamber, if they are serious about tackling the climate emergency, back us when we take the radical and bold action that is required. Thank you. We will move to general and constituency supplementaries, and I call CoCab Stewart. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. The First Minister will recall a meeting with myself and representatives of Sports Scotland and Cricket Scotland following the Changing Boundaries report, which found institutional racism within Cricket Scotland itself. Despite being placed under special measures, the working group has made no meaningful progress to date. In fact, it's only met once in seven months. Well-respected uh, EDI advisory board members have resigned and many within the sport have spoken out about their concerns that this issue just isn't being taken seriously and I'm not sure it's a fast-moving situation, who knows what's next. I'm sure the First Minister will agree with me that enough is enough and polished PR from Cricket Scotland just won't cut it and we need action. Will the First Minister commit to calling for an urgent meeting to meet with me, the Chair of Sports Scotland, Cricket Scotland, to discuss this woeful lack of progress and to find a constructive way forward? First Minister. I'm not sure why there was uh, groaning from some benches uh, to my left no, when such an important issue uh, was being raised by CoCab Stewart. And can I pay credit to CoCab Stewart, but also can I importantly pay tribute to many of those cricket uh, players, uh, former and current, who put their head above the parapet to talk about racism, which is not an easy thing to do. They did that at much personal cost and much professional cost uh, as well. And again, I don't understand why there was chuntering uh, from the Conservative benches to what was a very important question indeed. Uh, we are clear that there's no place for racism, no place for discrimination in any kind of sport or indeed wider society. I have, of course, in my previous role, uh, had many meetings, a number of meetings, I should say, with Sports Scotland uh, and indeed with Cricket Scotland uh, uh, to discuss this very matter. Uh, my understanding is that there have been robust discussions uh, between Sports Scotland and Cricket Scotland in the last week. Uh, they, are, they have reiterated that all options are being considered as they are held to account. The, the final decision on whether Cricket Scotland exits special measures will be dependent on all recommendations from the Changing the Boundaries report being met in absolute full. We will continue to engage with Cricket Scotland, of course. Uh, I will ensure that the appropriate minister does meet with CoCab Stewart, and I will make sure I also uh, make time, because this is an issue that is very close to my heart, uh, to meet with CoCab Stewart to discuss these issues further. Pam Gossel. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Last week we heard shocking allegations that Edinburgh University discouraged two students from reporting sex attacks to the police with one student reportedly being told that the university would be unable to support her if she reported this incident to the police. Does the First Minister agree that survivors of sexual assault must fully be supported to report crimes against them? And will, he, will his government commit to a full independent investigation to establish the full facts of this situation and why this is allowed to happen? First Minister. 
Well, of course, the university is uh, independent uh, of uh, the Scottish Government, but can I say I absolutely agree with Pam Gosal. She has a strong track record of standing up uh, for uh, issues in this uh, regard. Uh, I am uh, very worried uh, and, uh, in fact, frankly, uh, horrified by the situation as she articulates it. I accept I do not know the full detail uh, of that, and perhaps after this session, uh, if Pam Gosal feels she can, if she can furnish me uh, my office with the full details uh, of that. Uh, in a previous uh, role, when I was Justice Secretary, uh, I was often commending the excellent work that has been done uh, by Emily's test, by uh, Fiona Drury uh, and uh, her family. Uh, and I hope that every university would sign up uh, to the excellent, uh, the excellent initiative uh, that is uh, Emily's uh, test. So I will consider uh, the actions that Pam Gosal has asked me to consider. Uh, I hope she can furnish me with further details, but I absolutely share her sentiment uh, that uh, anybody who has been a victim of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, uh, they must be fully supported particularly by our universities and colleges. Yeah. In Aberdeen, the SNP has for the second time voted to permanently close six libraries in the city tomorrow. But Aberdonians know that local government has a statutory requirement to provide adequate library facilities to all residents. And we all heard the First Minister's predecessor when she said that the Scottish Government is committed to supporting libraries directly. So will the new First Minister reassure my constituents that he will not stand by and allow our library buildings to close? First Minister. Can I say that I agree with the sentiment of the member's questioner and the importance of our libraries? They're not just important for those who love books, of course, they are important for that sake too, but they provide a number of important facilities, IT facilities, for example, for people that might not have access to broadband. They provide other services, like welfare services can often be provided. Many of us will hold our surgeries in local libraries as members of the Scottish Parliament. So I absolutely agree with the sentiment behind the member's question. We do place great importance on public libraries, believe that everyone should have access to those public libraries. But equally, of course, it is often the case that members across this chamber quite rightly uh, believe, as I do, that decisions uh, for the Council, for a local authority, should be made by the local authorities. Aberdeen City Council's plan to close libraries will, of course, be extremely difficult for the library staff and the community. However, we recognise the financial challenges that local authorities are facing. At my policy, and I said this throughout the course of the recent campaign, is to work with local government to get a new deal for our local authorities that will allow them even more financial freedom and flexibility. In 2023-24, Aberdeen City Council will receive £436.9 million to fund local services. Taken together with the decisions to increase council tax by 5%, they will receive an extra £34.3 million to support vital services. In addition, all local councils will receive their fair share of the current undistributed sum of £329 million. Fulton McGregor. Uh, thank you, President Officer. Can I take this opportunity to welcome the new First Minister to his seat? I know the First Minister will, like me, have taken great joy in watching Scotland's men team triumph over Spain at Hamden on Tuesday in a famous victory. He will also be aware that, unlike fans in England and Wales, viewers here do not have access to watch the men's national team on a free-to-view uh, free TV. Can I therefore ask what, if any, engagement has taken place with broadcasting providers about showing these football matches on free-to-air TV? And does he agree with me that increased access to games like that on Tuesday will help inspire the next generation of footballers? First Minister. I, for some reason, heard Jackie Bailey shout, oh, seriously, I thought we would all get behind the national team for a phenomenal result yeah. uh, just, the other, just the other day. Exactly. Even, even... 
even the ray of sunshine that is Jackie Bailey must be able to get behind the Scottish football team. I noticed after that result there was some calls uh, to put Steve Clark in the cabinet, but I think he'll do an even better job uh, currently uh, where he is. Look, I couldn't be clearer. Fulton McGregor uh, makes a really important point. I, I, I couldn't be clearer. Men's, uh, women and men's Scottish football international matches, uh, both in the men's game and the women's game, should be part, uh, for me, of the crown jewels of free-to-air sporting events. But sadly, of course, the UK Government, we know, have failed to act. We'll continue to press the UK Government to expand the listed uh, events regime, uh, but it would be far simpler, of course, as I've said already, if those powers rested in this Parliament. So we'll work with the Scottish FA to continue to make football more accessible to all across society. Fantastic performances like we saw on Tuesday night, not only to put a smile on the faces of the nation, but I hope what they can do is really inspire people of all ages, young and not so young, to get active and kick a ball around. Yeah, yeah. Rachel Hamilton. Presiding officer, I think the breaking of glass was not a good omen for this new First Minister. I recently met with campaigners from endometriosis south of Scotland. All three spoke of their own experience. All three in unbearable pain having to go private to get a diagnosis. This is typical of women across Scotland who face up to eight years for a diagnosis. And it was revealed on Sunday that the Scottish Government's endometriosis advisory group has not met since April 2022. Does the First Minister agree that this is an insult to the 100,000 women suffering with unbearable pain across Scotland? And will he uh, commit to ensuring that this group meet? First Minister. What I would say to Rachel Hamilton is that she raises an exceptionally important uh, point. Of course, I was involved in this work uh, in my role as Health Secretary, and of course, Marie Todd, in her previous role, uh, took forward much of this action as the Minister with Responsibility for Women's Health. And uh, I've met a number of organisations uh, who, who, of course, represent uh, women who have been particularly affected by endometriosis. And uh, Rachel Hamilton is absolutely right that uh, far too many women wait far too long for that life-changing di uh, diagnosis. Uh, so we have the Women's Health Plan, of course, which is committed to taking forward some of this work. Uh, I will happily look uh, at the meeting uh, of the group, uh, as Rachel Hamilton rightly uh, highlights, uh, and see what further progress we can make. And I'll write to the member uh, with an update. And Martin Whitfield. I'm very grateful, presiding officer. The First Minister will be aware it's over two years now we've waited for the UNCRC bill to come back to this chamber um, to be remedied. During that time, there has been changing government narrative about why the UNCRC bill has not come back to this chamber. So, can the First Minister um, undertake that the bill will return to this chamber before summer recess? Or if he can't, will the government publish the correspondence and what is causing the hold-up between the Scottish Government and the UK Government? First Minister. I have to say, once again, I don't disagree, actually, with the sentiment behind Martin Whitfield's really important question. We wanted to make sure those rights were incorporated uh, into our legislation because we want to do the best uh, by our children and by our young people. We know the action that the UK Government uh, chose uh, to take. Uh, so we are continuing to liaise with the UK Government. Uh, I will uh, see what can be published in relation uh, to those discussions. But as soon as we have some sort of agreement on the way forward, I will make sure that we make progress in this, because there is nothing more important than the rights of our young people. I say that as the father uh, of two children uh, myself. So uh, I will absolutely look uh, at his request, his request to see what can be published. Uh, but I can give him an absolute promise. There is no shortage of intent, nor pace, nor urgency uh, from the government that I lead. 
Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions. I would just like to say at this point, colleagues, that I deeply regret that due to the completely unacceptable interruptions that we have experienced today, I am unable to call any more members to put questions to the First Minister on matters of importance to the people that they represent. And I would like again to apologise to those visitors who travelled here in good faith, often at great inconvenience, to watch their representatives at work. Please rest assured that I will review and escalate measures as required to counter the actions of a small minority who seek to disrupt our work. And I have no doubt that all members share my determination that our democratically elected parliament will continue to do its vital work on behalf of the people of Scotland. Thank you. There will be a brief pause before we move on to the next item. Mm -hmm.